Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to share the experience of Paul that is listed on enderf.org, N-D-E-R-F.org, the Near Death Experience Research Foundation website. And let's just dive right into it because I think it speaks for itself really well. In 1970, I was hopelessly caught up in a tragedy and horror of the Vietnam War. My wife, Sue, was just two months pregnant when I received the dreadful induction notice. On April 30th, 1970, President Richard Nixon announced that U.S. troops had begun a ground offensive against the communist strongholds of, in Cambodia. I was shipped out and participated along with over 40,000 troops with this maneuver in the Army's 10th Combat Division. On October 1st, my platoon was moving west when we were hit hard by a sniper attack. I was trying to retreat to safety when I heard a blood-chilling scream. I turned in time to see my, my buddy Pete go down in, in a hail of bullets from enemy fire. Every instinct told me to save myself and keep on running. I only had to hear his desperate cries to realize that I could not abandon a man who had gone out of his way to show a green recruit the ropes and given me hours of badly needed escape from our mutual war trauma and suffering by really showing an interest in my life and my hopes to rejoin my family and new baby when the nightmare of war was finally over. I shared his dream of finding the right lady someday and starting a family of his own. He dreamed of becoming a teacher with the help of the GI Bill for education. I turned around and went back towards where he lay moaning, screaming for a medic the whole time. <clears throat> he had crossed the 50 feet, oh, I had crossed the 50 feet between us in what seemed like seconds when I was shot down by machine gun fire. Pain ripped through my legs and I fell forward. The next thing I knew, I was viewing the scene from about 16 feet above my head. I saw that my body had been hit several times in the right leg and once in the left. I was convinced that I was going to bleed to death and felt tremendous sorrow that I'd never see my wife or, un or our unborn baby. My sadness was joined by a growing confusion and curiosity. So was this death? I thought. No fear, no pain. How weird. I don't feel any different. I can still think. I stared at my body and wondered what was coming next. My buddy, Pete, was lying next to my body. I was shocked to see a mist leave from his head, which instantly turned into an exact duplicate of his body. I noticed that his spirit, or new body, was whole and glowed a bit. His physical body below was missing his hand and part of his forearm due to being hit by the same sniper. Pete looked dazed and I called to him. He immediately flew to me and we discussed what was going to happen from that point. We noticed that a young black medic had discovered our bodies. First he checked Pete and then me. He began working on my body and Pete commented that he guessed that meant he was dead but that I probably still had a chance. He reached out and shook my hand and said, I want to thank you for being a good friend and for trying to save my life. I don't know why, 
but I just sense that I'm not staying here. I'm going someplace I've never, or that I'm going someplace I've been before. It feels like home. I know this sounds crazy, but I think it's not your time to go yet. I think I'll try to say goodbye to my mom now, but you go on and have a groovy life, and if your kid is a boy, name him after me, okay? I said, you got it, Pete. I reached over to give him a pat on the back, but he vanished in a blink of light, in a blink of light. I watched several soldiers below help carry me away from the scene while the medic continued to work on me. I was filled with a yearning to be with my young wife and my unborn child. Suddenly I was slammed back into my body as if I fell from a 40, from 40 feet above. Due to my injuries, I was shipped home one month later. I had no opportunity to attend my pal's funeral, but I did research his family and called his mom. His mother, Thelma, answered and offered my and I offered my heartfelt condolences to her, and she said her son had come to her on the night he was killed. She had a visit in a dream where he had stayed long enough to tell her he had passed over to the other side, but not to grieve for him as he was happy and he had a job to do. He held out his arm and a light appeared to come to him. A beautiful, radiant child formed next to him. He was five or six years old with auburn curls and hazel eyes. He had a sprinkling of freckles across his nose and cheeks. Who's that? His mom asked. Oh, let's see. Okay, so he's still talking. This is... This is Pete talking to his mom, and his mom says, Who's that about the boy? Okay. Why, this is little Pete. He wants to know about his daddy, what his earth life will be like, and what he can expect. I'm showing him the ropes. Little Pete and I will be together for a time. He can count on it. He picked up the child and hugged him. The image faded quickly. Pete's mom wanted to know all about her son, where he was at, but had no chance. The image of the adorable child stuck in her mind. Since Pete had been a bachelor, was this child an illegitimate child of his? Who was the mother? Where could she go to see her grandson? Was this child even born yet? What did Pete mean about teaching this child about his early or his earthly life? Little Pete was obviously named after his dad. She even felt that there was a family resemblance. How would she ever know? Uh, where could she go for help? All those questions seemed to haunt her every waking moment and increased even more after she was told that her son Pete had indeed been killed in action on the same day as the dream. She was sad and hurt by her only son's death, but felt he had given her proof that he was fine and was alive on a different plane. The child he had called Little Pete was still a mystery she knew she had to solve. I told her about my wife's pregnancy and the promise I made to Pete about naming my son after him. I suggested this might have been the child she was shown in the dream on October 1st, 1971. I promised to stay in touch and send photos of my child when he or she was born four to five, in four to five weeks. 
My son Peter was born on October 31, 1971. He was practically bald, but had striking hazel eyes. On his second birthday, I mailed photos to Pete's mom in Colorado, and she called to say thanks. The photos resembled the little boy in her dream, especially the mop of auburn curls. On Peter's sixth birthday, she flew in to meet our family and burst into tears when she saw him. There was no doubt at all. This was the same boy she saw her son Pete with that awful night he died. We opted her as Granny Thelma right on the spot. We stayed in touch through the years by phone and letters. She treasured each detail and photo of Peter. She passed on recently. However, Peter, his wife Karen, and their two sons visited her in the hospital the week before. She, she knew she'd soon be joining Pete and his, and his dad, who had died in the World War II. In World War II, she was anxious to be reunited and thanked little Pete, now 27, for being the grandson she had wanted since her first vision of him. Peter told her he had always suspected that Pete was watching over him, especially when he was in the Desert Storm conflict. The experience was vivid and real and gave me hope that when we die, we really live and can see our own departed relatives. I also feel that children are gifts from God and that may and from God that may get training from angels before choosing their families on the earth plane. Even though it goes against the teachings of my church, I'm studying the idea idea of reincarnation. I don't know the answers, but I look at life in a really new light. I got an idea of what the big picture is. If everyone could do the same, I know that there would never be another war. Love and peace to all who read this. That's the end of the account. Wow, wow, wow. Beautiful. I am deeply touched by, I don't, I don't know if you could hear, I was um, having a little bit of, uh, of trouble keeping uh, my voice calm just because of how touching this was. I, I had glanced through this experience um, because sometimes the experiences when I read them, you've got, you know, 10 paragraphs of medical and then one paragraph of near-death experience and then 10 paragraphs of recovery uh, which I tend not to share those just because that's not the focus of this experience. And I, and I was tempted when I started this to skip to the death scene. I'm really glad I didn't uh, because this story really needs the whole thing um, as shared. Um, he's, I mean, it's, it's almost like, I, I want... I don't know what else to call it but a love triangle, but it's not a love triangle in the fiction sense of, you know, being in love with two people or whatever, but it's it's this loving triangle of individuals. You might even say uh, square of angels, uh, of, of, of love. <laughs> that starts sounding weird, but these four people involved, the individual sharing the experience, the individual who died, the son who was born, and the grandma who, uh, who um, saw the child. Not only is there a great deal of proof in this, I mean, how could any of, 
of them have known the other's corner of the story until it was all put together. And, um, you know, for him and the grandma, this was a beautiful, and probably the son too, a beautiful evidence of, of life after death. And I think it, it does that very well. Um, but what gets me in this is the efforts that each made to show love. And in beautiful ways. First off, the, um, the one who died, who final death, he reached out to this young um, soldier and showed him the ropes and, and shared with him his, his dreams and, and his life. And he had showed it to the point that um, Paul, who, who's writing this story, could not leave him at the, at the sound of him being killed. Um, there was very little chance for, and, and the fact that the medics arrived on the scene and helped him means they would have arrived on the scene and helped uh, Pete as well. So, I mean, it, it's not like he was absolutely essential to Pete's survival, but in that moment of, I can't leave this man, you know, his, his every gut instinct said, get out. But his second instinct was, I can't leave this man. And so there's the first act of love that was shown by Pete in extending such love um, to Paul, such that when Paul is faced with the decision, do I ditch him? And because I just saw him mowed down with bullets, he's dead or he's going to be. And, uh, and, but Paul says, I can't leave him. And he turns around and bolts back to him, knowing he'll probably be killed in the process. And interestingly enough, he is killed in that process. He essentially gave his life for his friend. Okay. And then when they both, uh, he pops out of his body. Then the very interesting little aspect that he sees a mist rise from his friend's body, which then materializes into a perfect replica of his friend's body. Very interesting little snippet there. But then his, his friend, he's talking to his friend. And it's interesting when, when people, if you hear the experience of Jeff Olson, he has kind of a similar experience uh, with seeing his wife who, who dies in the accident, uh, car accident that he dies in, but he comes back and so forth. And his wife gives him all this information. Say, you've got to go back. I'm I've got to go onward, but you've got to go back and, and raise our son uh, that survived. And I have to take our younger son uh, with me and so forth. And they have this little exchange. Similarly, uh, Pete and Paul have this little discussion and Pete seems to know things. Now, is this through this knowingness that often takes place in the spirit or had Pete gone on and then come back to his body to experience. Remember, no time passing. The whole, you know, they can be instantly back in um, the situation, you know. Could be the mist, you know, at the moment the mist raised, he went on to the light and then came back to his body to talk to Paul. We don't know. We don't know. All we can see is that, he, is that Paul sees the spirit leave 
uh, Pete's spirit leave his body, materialize into a perfect replica of Pete, and then he talks to Pete, and Pete says, um, I have a sense that he says, uh, I just get the sense that I'm not staying here. I'm going someplace I've been before. It feels like home. And then he says, I don't think it's your time to go yet. I think, and then, and then he says, I think I'll go try to say goodbye to my mom before I leave. Um, but you go have a wonderful life. And I don't know if it's a passing thought or, or something that's just kind of a, it, it almost sounds like a, an exchange of love. Um, that he says, he says, you know, if your if your kid is a boy, name him after me, okay? And I think by the time he goes to visit his mom, he's then met the boy, and knows that he's a boy, so he's gonna name him Pete. And it's this lovely, just beautiful. I mean, <laughs> wow. Um, and then suddenly as he thinks about his wife and his unborn child, he's slammed back into his body. It hurts like the Dickens. And uh, and then um, he was shipped home. And, and of course, he's too injured to attend the funeral, but he did seek out his mom. Now, you know, this mom had seen his son, Pete, and discussed with him, talked with him, and he had a little boy with him. And, and this... Mother is somewhat tormented by the fact that, wait a minute, but my son didn't, he wasn't married. I don't know of any girlfriend. Was this, you know, a child of somebody that he didn't know? I I don't get it. I'm confused. And, and said he's coming. And so she's thinking, do I have a grandchild out there that I don't know about? And and if so, I, is there something I can do? You know, is are they in trouble? Is there danger? I, you know, what what's going on, you know? And so when uh, Paul calls, and she is given some measure of peace. When he sends a picture, when he's two, she gets even more peace. And to the point where when he's six and she sends the photo, she bursts into tears because she knows that is the boy I saw. That is the boy. And then, of course, um, the... The uh, love continues as they stay in touch with this grandma. She's a surrogate grandmother, if you will. And uh, Granny Thelma becomes part of the family. And, uh, and she, they keep in touch with her by phone and letters. And then when little Pete, young Pete, by the time he's 27 years old, he's able to visit her just a week before she dies. And... Uh, and she is happy to return to her older Pete um, and see her son again. What what beauty! What what love! And that seems to be the thing that bonds us to the other side is love, and it seems to be the thing that uh, that makes these experiences not just provable and you know that this is clear evidence of the other side, but it's the connection that we have with the other side. And I, I'm going to give this as a speculation. I have no idea, but what if that love and that reaching out to others and wanting to serve and wanting to help and wanting to provide comfort and love and cheer is what opens the veil to some extent 
for these experiences to happen. I don't know. I don't know. But it's certainly something to think about. So before we wrap up, I'm going to tell you again our uh, phone number, hotline, if you will, is uh, 970-633-2278, which is also 970-NDE-CAST. Give us a call. Share us your share us with us your experience or ask a question, share a comment. I hope that this podcast in some way can be an act of love to all of you out there who are listening. Again, I don't I don't know who's all listening. I know from notes that I've received that there are some and and it is because of them that I continue the podcast that I keep going every day. And I do this as an act of love. I, I, you know, at, at this point, I, there's nothing that I benefit from the podcast financially or time-wise or, or whatever, other than the hope, the, uh, the inclination to show love out there. I'm not one who has a lot of resources to be able to contribute in any great measure. I'm, I'm a starving musician, if you will, and, and uh, you know, I, I do housekeeping to pay, pay the bills and so forth. So this is really uh, not just a passion project, but it's also a project of love. I'm doing this because I want to be able to spread love in the world. And I, in my own experience of of learning about near-death experiences have felt incredible love um, and I've felt like life is even more worth living than it was before and I hope to extend that which is why I do this every day I don't want it to be a weekly podcast I want it to be an everyday podcast something that you'll always have to turn to as something of a reassurance that you are loved and you are that that uh, not only me, but your Heavenly Father loves you so much. So with that, thank you, all of you, so much for listening.